Good morning, everybody. And uh, welcome to you. Welcome to you, especially if you're a visitor here this morning, someone or someone who's just been coming uh, for the first couple of weeks. You're especially welcome. And uh, obviously, it's a special day for us. As Steve said, every day is Easter Day, but we rejoice especially in this Easter Day. So welcome to our Easter service. I'm just going to speak for about 30 minutes or so, but uh, you know me, that, that, that can, that's, uh, that's a little bit fluid. Okay, we can take a few minutes either side, but to talk a little bit about the Easter message. I want to start actually with, uh, with a reading that, that is not actually part of the Easter story. It might seem a strange passage to start with, but uh, I'm going to start with a reading uh, from, uh, from Luke's Gospel. Up there on the screen. And I'll explain as we go why I've uh, chosen this passage to speak from this morning. A certain ruler asked him, actually let me uh, find it here then I don't have to show, see the back of my head. A certain ruler asked him, that is, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this again, just this special day. Thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you, uh, you did on the cross, all that we have been singing about this morning. Uh, just pray you'd really build that into our hearts, build that into our hearts through our worship, through this message, just through our lives, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Amen. Amen. It's a strange story in a way, isn't it? It raises a number of questions in our mind. Uh, why does Jesus seem to make it so hard for this man to come to him? Raises such questions such as, is money, wealth, possessions a bad thing? Uh, we could build whole theologies around giving everything that we have away, as many people have done. What, 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 does, what does this passage say about wealth and possessions? And so we come to this, this story with, with, with many questions. Indeed, if we'd read on a few more verses, the disciples, the, the people that were listening to Jesus were, were equally puzzled because they said in response to this, well, who then can be saved? It just seemed to raise more questions than it answers. And the answer, you see, depends in part on our worldview. We all have a, a worldview. It's the way we see the world. It's how we interpret all the things that we take in, how we build a picture of how things ought to be. And the reason that there, are, there is this, uh, this question, this puzzling question, this puzzling answer, is partly because there are two competing worldviews that we often come across that we need to reconcile, especially as we come to this Easter message. And let me unpack that first of all by asking you a question. 
excuse me if it's a, it's a little bit blunt, if it's a little bit personal, but let me ask it anyway. If you were to die tonight and stand before God and he was to say, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer? What would you answer? What would you say to that question? If God says, if you're standing before God and he says, why should I let you in? What would you say? You see, there are two competing worldviews. It all depends on how we view the world, how we answer that question. You might think, for instance, and it might be a very, I mean, you, you might say, let's be perfectly honest, you might be someone this morning who says, well, actually, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. I think this is all there is. And when we die, we die. And actually, that's a worldview that, that many people have. And that, that's... I'm not, I was about to say that's fine. Well, it's not fine, but it's a worldview <laughs> that many people have. Um, but if that is you this morning, then, then just humour me for the next 30 minutes. You're here, it's Easter Sunday, so let's just go with that for a moment. If, if there were God, if there were a heaven, and it's, as it's described in the Bible, what do you think ought to be the criteria for getting into heaven? And if we were to ask people on the street that question, I guess most people would give an answer along the lines of, well, we broadly need to be good people. I don't know how we'd measure that, how we'd define that, but, but, but basically there's this idea that in my life there's, there's lots of good things that I do that I'm reasonably proud of. There's quite a few not-so-good things that I'm not so proud of. And at some point at the end of my life, there's a reckoning. There's a, there's a weighing up of the two. Does the good outweigh the bad? And if the good outweighs the bad, then I'm okay. If the bad outweighs the good, then I, I'm not okay. We were on, in the holiday in, in Egypt just recently. It's really interesting looking at the, the ancient hieroglyphics. And, and there's a culture, totally different, if you like, from, from our culture. And our guide was explaining one picture, and it was a picture of this pharaoh standing behind, before one of their gods. I, I'm not preaching on Egyptian theology, we're going to do the Easter story, but, but this was a wonderful story. And the pharaoh, and there was a feather in this hieroglyphic. So, and the guide said, and what this is, is this is a picture of the pharaoh who has died standing before Osiris, who was one of the Egyptian gods. And the Pharaoh's heart, sorry for this one, the Pharaoh's heart is taken out and is put in a balance with a feather in the other side. You see, if you're a good person, you have a, a light heart. And if you're a bad person, you have a heavy heart. And so the Pharaoh's heart was weighed against the feather. And if the heart was heavier, he was not a good Pharaoh. And if his heart was light and such that the feather was heavier, he was a good Pharaoh. And I heard this story, I thought, you know, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years, 2,000 miles, there's this same perception across our culture, across time. Somehow my life is measured. And if I'm good enough, I'm okay. And if I'm not good enough, then I'm not okay. And to be honest, if I'd made up the rules, that's probably what I would have done. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We see, yeah, I kind of get that. Isn't it extraordinary? That's not what the Bible says. You see, that's our worldview. In many ways, that's the worldview of this young man here. And part of the Easter story is that that is not the worldview that we see in the Bible. 
See, Paul, who was one of the early church apostles, a guy who wrote much of the New Testament, he, he said this in his letter to the Ephesians. He said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Paul seems to introduce this kind of strange idea that heaven is a gift. It's given freely. That we don't earn it or deserve it. We don't have to work towards it. So, so there's, there's straight away this, this kind of dilemma. Is heaven something that I have to earn and, and do the right stuff for? Or, or is it a gift? There again, we have these two competing worldviews. The young man was saying, all these rules, all these laws I've kept since I was a boy. Have I done enough? Have I earned my way into your presence? And Paul just seems to say, well, heaven's a gift. I wonder which one it is. I wonder what worldview is going to prevail as we go through this story. You see, to understand this difference, we need to really understand what the Bible says about us about mankind. And the Bible actually in many places is very blunt. A lot of people can look at the Bible and think, gosh, that's a, that's a somewhat confusing book. There's lots of difficult stuff in here. There's stuff that I don't understand. There's stuff that, that needs a bit of unpacking. And, and to a degree, that's true. But when it comes down to the basics, when it comes down to the truth, the Bible is actually very plain and very simple. And the Bible doesn't mess about when it talks about us is it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Paul again. I said, Paul writes, seems to write a lot of the New Testament. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a consequence to that. There's the result of that. And he says, for the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul suddenly got back to this idea of, yeah, hey, heaven is a gift. Let's hold on to that. There's something there that we need to hold on to. And when we look at verses like that, you see, sin isn't really a word that we use much today. And probably if we do, we, we use it in the kind of wrong context. We can often, again, if we're trying to think of ourselves as good people who don't really sin and bad people who sin, we often interpret that word as meaning, well, actually the really bad stuff. The stuff that we, we see on the news, we, we read in our media. Uh, oh, I wouldn't be like that. I'm not that person that murders or robs a bank or, or does that. That's not me. That's, that's what a lot of people imagine we talk about when we talk about sin. You see, the Bible doesn't talk about sin in that way. The Bible says that sin is anything that is contrary to God's will. It's anything that we do that doesn't match up perfectly with his plans and purposes and intentions for us. So just being good, just being good is not enough. I wonder, we all at some point have had to pass a test or take a test or sit an exam. And what's the one thing that you go through your mind, short of writing your name at the top of the paper and thinking, I don't know the answer to the first question. The next thing that's going through your mind is, what is the pass mark? What, what do I have to do to pass this exam? Is it 50%? Is it 60%? Is it 70%? What are my grades? A, B, C, D. 
I think I've told this story before. I, I am no good at languages. If uh, I, I'm not a language person. God's got a great sense of humour. I've married Valentino, who just is multilingual in so many languages, uh, and, and I'm just not. And uh, my claim to fame is that as far as the French language goes, which is the one language I studied at school, I have a grade three, okay, a C, C GC, not uh, CSE, I've forgotten it now. It's one of the old exam boards. But to be honest, it's the lowest grade you could possibly get and still call it a pass. I genuinely did probably write my name at the top of the paper and, and, and answer one or two of the 30 questions. And, I, and yeah, it's, it's as low as I can go. And it's embarrassing that I passed it. I, I got better grades in the subjects I'm slightly better at, trust me. I got a little bit more than a, than a grade three CSE in French. But... Coming back to my point, what is the pass mark? What do we have to do to be good enough for God? And again, you see, the Bible's so blunt on this. The Bible doesn't cut any, doesn't muck around, doesn't, doesn't sort of make it woolly or vague or, or leave us in any uncertainty. It says there, this is Jesus speaking, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You actually ought to read Matthew 5 sometime, just as a chapter, because it's a whole chapter of actually do's and don'ts. It's really interesting. A lot of people think, you know, they haven't read the Bible, think, oh, you, you Christians, this Bible is, is all, your life is just a list of do's and don'ts. All the things that you've got to do, all the things that you shouldn't do. And actually, if you just read Matthew 5, you'd probably agree with them. Because Matthew 5 is, a, is an endless list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. But at the very last verse, in verse 48 of Matthew 5, Jesus sums it all up. He almost says, like, forget about these do's and don'ts. This is what it comes down to. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That kind of puts a different perspective on it, doesn't it? That, 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 that makes it a little bit trickier for us to say, well, well, maybe I'm there. I'm not perfect. Mary Poppins, famous Disney character, was described as practically perfect in every way, wasn't she? If you ever watched Mary Poppins, practically perfect. It just left, left that shred of doubt that, that she wasn't quite absolutely perfect. So Mary Poppins kind of didn't make it either. Oh, yes, and oh, Mary Poppins. <laughs> this is Mike Powell. I don't know if you, you know or recognise the picture. There's no verses there because he didn't say anything profound that I can find in Scripture. Uh, there isn't the gospel according to Mike Powell. Um, it's not that I, my PowerPoint is missing a verse. That's the guy there. Um, but he actually holds the record for the world's long jump, which actually stands at 8.95 metres. Uh, that's about 29 feet in old money. Now, I want you to just imagine that we are all standing out there in the hallway, okay? Just beyond the double door. Turn around and look at them there so you can see them. The double doors at the back there. We are in the hallway, just where Wendy is, by those double doors, but on the other side of the double doors. And rather than there being this rather nice, what colour is it, Stu? What's this carpet? What do we call it? We don't, we know, we don't call it grey's not coming. It must be something more than grey. Charcoal, there we go. Rather than there being this nice charcoal-coloured carpet uh, between us and the front, there's a bottomless pit. Now, now let me describe nine metres for you. It's about where the fifth row back is. So again, Virgos, you want to give us a hand, Christina, Martin, you're it, okay? You're nine, me you're nine metres back from the double doors, okay? 
So what I want you to imagine for a moment is that we are all standing out there beyond the double doors. And just in that fourth row, or the fifth row, where those guys are, that's the other side of this bottom of the pit. That's where God is. That's where I am. <laughs> I, looked at, I thought in my notes when I did this, I won't say that, but yeah, I said, here I am. You know? <laughs> I'm on this side of the pit. You guys are all on that side. And you see, the only way you can get to God, or the only way to get to God in your own strength, in your own ability, is to jump. So just look at that again, where that fifth row is. Guys, just give us a wave, fifth row. There you go. Wendy, there you go. Do you reckon you could make that jump? It's a bit of a distance, isn't it? You know, I'm not as young as I was. I don't think even when I was, I was particularly fit. I don't think I'm going to make it halfway. I think some of you younger folks, you might do a bit better. There'll be some people that say, I'm going to struggle to make the first set of chairs. (laughs) Mike Powell, who's managed 8.95 metres, the tips of his trainers are just going to brush the other end of the bottomless pit. Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. She's another 8.95 metre jumper. Imagine Mary Poppins doing the long jump. You see, that's, that's what you remember from my sermon. That's the takeaway point from my sermon. Yeah, the Easter message. And you're going to go away with Mary Poppins doing the long jump. The rich young ruler. All these laws. All these rules. I've kept since I was a boy. But that's still an 8.95 metre jump. You know, let, let me take a, a few liberties. I've taken enough already, but let me take one more w- with Scripture. We, we, we preach what's in the book and we don't add, but, but I can't help but read the story of the rich young ruler and wonder what might have come next. What might have come next? Just, just imagine with me for a moment if he did go away and he did sell all of his possessions and he'd come back to Jesus and said, here I am, I've done it. I've kept all the laws since I was a boy, and I'm now penniless. What do you think Jesus would have said to him? I think Jesus would have said to him, be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. You're still an 8.95 metre jumper. You haven't made the gap. And you see, the irony is, none of us make that gap. We all fall down that bottomless pit if we're trying to make it in our own strength. And the irony is, on the way down, we're all arguing over who got further. (laughs) I I made it so much more than that, that person over there. Look at what they've done. I got so much further. And, oh, I really admire that person. Look how far they got. Guys, we're all falling down the same bottomless pit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when this rich young man comes back to Jesus and says, what must I do? There are actually two answers. Jesus could have answered him in one of two ways. You see, the first way is the way that we'll get to in a moment, is the Easter story, is the Easter message. But the second way is the way that Jesus answered him in in this passage. And I think part of the reason that Jesus answered him the way that he did was that he answered him based on the worldview that this young man was coming with. Because this young man came with a, what must I do to earn my way into your presence? 
I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'm going to do this according to the rules that you have laid down. I'm good enough to make it. Just tell me what I've got to do. And so Jesus answers him based on his worldview. He says, okay, if you want to make it to me in my own strength, yeah, keep the law. Sell everything you have. Be perfect. If you can't do that, if if that worldview doesn't work for you, you might need to think about something else. But hey, if if you're perfect, if you're perfect, you don't need the Easter message. If you're perfect, you can jump the chasm. If you're perfect, you don't need Jesus. But I don't think we're perfect. I think we all have problems leaping this chasm. No matter what we do, it's not enough. And so we, like the disciples, ask this question. It's such a good question. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? It's a question. It's a dilemma. And we, and we really only understand that when we think about God. So if we think about God for a moment, I don't know what you imagine God to be. Uh, if you've never opened a Bible in your life before, you might well say, well, I think God is a kind of a loving person. And you'd be right. God is. God does. It actually says in the Bible in Jeremiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah is, is, is an amazing book of some incredible contrasts. It's, it's actually one of the saddest books in the Bible. Jeremiah didn't exactly have a rosy life or a happy life or a successful life. None of the prophets, I guess, did. But if you read the book of Jeremiah, it's a tough old book to read. Yet buried in there are some of the most profound and joyful verses in all of Scripture. And in the midst of all the hardness that Jeremiah and his life goes through, somehow there's this verse, and there's other ones we won't go into now, but this one just pings out, I've loved you with an everlasting love. People get, I think people get that about God. I don't think that many people have problems understanding that bit of God's nature. But you see, there's another side to God's nature, in that he's a judge. And he's righteous. And it says in Numbers there, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. You see, we've seen already that we're guilty. We're guilty of sin. There's a punishment. There's a consequence to that. And God just can't ignore that. We'd like it if he did. And to be honest, as humans, we probably do a reasonable job at sometimes ignoring the wrong things that people do to us. Some people say, oh, why can't God just forgive? Why can't God forget? We seem to be able to do it in most cases. You see, God's holy, God's righteous. And just imagine for a moment that someone were to break into your home, take your possessions, burgle your home. And that person were caught and brought before the judge. And judge said, you know what, I'm feeling good today. You can go. It doesn't matter. There's no consequences for that. We would be incensed, wouldn't we? We'd be outraged. We want justice. This person's broken into my home, vandalised my possessions. We want justice. And there's a cry that comes from our heart because we're made in the image of God that says justice is important. If there's been wrong, if there's been a sin, there needs to be a consequence. There needs to be a recompense. And so we have these two sides to God's nature. He's, He's a loving God who doesn't want to punish us. He loves us. But he's a just God and he must punish sin. He can't just ignore it. If he ignored it, actually, he wouldn't be perfect anymore. He wouldn't be God. And so God has to punish our sin. 
It's a dilemma. It's a problem. Again, just <laughs> taking a few liberties. We would imagine that there's not much that uh, catches God unawares, don't we? He created the universe. He threw the stars into the sky. There's not much he can't do. There's not much that takes him by surprise. There's not much that keeps him awake at night. But if there were a problem that kept God awake at night, I think it would be this. I love these people. I, care. I created these people to have a relationship with them. That's the very reason I created them. I love them so much. In fact, it doesn't in the Bible say God is loving. Well, it does in the Bible say God is loving, but it actually says God is love. It's that powerful. If you actually wanted to define love, and most of our poets and writers have spent most of their lives trying to do that, but if you wanted to define love, it's God. God is love. And so God says, I, I love these people. I, I, I built them to have a relationship with them. But hey, I'm just, I'm righteous, I'm holy. I can't just ignore the wrong stuff that they've done. What am I going to do about that? How do I square that circle? How do I resolve that dilemma? Well, obviously, well, not obviously. I'm sure you all know the answer. But God solved it in the person of Jesus. That was how God squared the circle. That was how he resolved the dilemma between his infinite love and his infinite justice. He came into the world as a man and took the punishment for us. Steve already mentioned Thomas, that disciple, who wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. And Thomas, I think Thomas gets a bad press sometimes. I, I have a lot of sort of feeling for Thomas. I almost like to think he's kind of the first scientist, the first one that says, no, no, I've got to touch it and see it and measure it. And, and, you know, and sometimes that can be our undoing. We have to take things on faith sometimes. But I, but I think I get Thomas. He said, no, I, I want to see this. I want to measure this. I want to touch this. And so Jesus appears to him and says, put your hands in the nail prints in my arm, in my hand. And Thomas does. And what does Thomas answer? He says, my Lord and my God. You see, in that instant, Thomas realised that Jesus wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a, a clever philosopher. He wasn't someone who just invented a new religion. But he was God himself. God himself come to earth to take the punishment that befitted us. And he was fully God, and he was also fully man. If that one does your head in, it does most people's heads in, and we'll cover that one another time. But he was fully man. He died an or he, he was born an ordinary human birth. He died a very real physical death on the cross because it was man who had offended God and so man who had to pay the price. That's what cross, Jesus did on the cross. I want you to imagine that we've talked about not really being perfect, but just imagine that you, you were nearly perfect. We're all Mary Poppins this morning. And just imagine you just did three things wrong a day. Okay, three things wrong a day. You, you said something wrong that you regretted. You did something that you shouldn't do. And actually, sometimes we don't do the things we, sh we should do. So you just didn't do something that you should have done. Three sins a day. We'd be pretty, I think, it, we, we, I probably did that before I got out of bed this morning. Okay, you're probably all with me on that one. If we just did three sins a day, we think we were pretty good people. Yeah, you just said something wrong, you did something wrong, and you didn't do something that you knew you should have done. That becomes 20 a week. That becomes 1,000 a year. 
If you live for 70 years, that's 70,000 sins. So you now stand before God as a righteous judge. And he says, as they do it in courts today, are there any other cases that need to be taken into consideration before I pass sentence? And the lawyer puts his hand and says, well, yeah, actually, we've got 70,000 on record. There's 70,000 sins. Imagine this book is that record. All the things I've done wrong, the things that I think are big, the things that I think are small, the things I've even forgotten about, but, but God hasn't. They're all in there. And that's what's acting as a barrier between me and God. That's why I can't get to God. That's why God can't speak to me, because there's this sin in the way. And what did Jesus do on the cross? Well, amazingly, thousands of years before, Isaiah the prophet spoke about exactly what happened. And uh, again, forgive me that it's in slightly oldy worldy language. I think it's just the more powerful when we read it that way. But this is what Isaiah said, looking ahead to the cross. He said, he, that is Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there's Jesus. He's now bearing our sins. Those 70,000 things that I'm not proud of. And what does that do for me? Well, hey, that means I'm free to have that relationship with God. God is free to talk to me again. That's what happened on the cross. My sin was transferred to Jesus. He paid the price that leaves me free. And now the requirements of a loving God have been satisfied. He can talk to me. He can speak to me. He can have a relationship with me. I with him. And the requirements of a just God have been satisfied. He's punished and dealt with sin. So really all that's left to talk about is how do we receive this gift that is offered? This free gift that I can't earn, that I can't deserve, that I can't cross the chasm in my own strength to achieve. I need to acknowledge that I can't do it in my own strength. I need to come to Jesus. It's interesting, the story of the rich young ruler. Let's just return to him one last time. Because we can often see that story as a story about money. What was the question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What was the answer? Well, the answer that we think Jesus gives is go and sell your possessions. But actually, when you read the story again, that was actually the start of the journey. What Jesus actually said was, sell your possessions, come follow me. See, that's the answer to how do I gain eternal life? Come follow me. First step on the journey for some might be to sell some possessions. First step for other people might be to give something up. First step for other people might be to start doing something. But for all of us, the answer is come follow me. It's not just knowing about God. You might, be someone that know, you, might, you might be someone that knows the Easter story. You might be able to tell the Easter story better than I. You might have watched all the films about the cross and Easter. You might know the Easter story. Knowing the Easter story doesn't make you a Christian. See, to, to, to take a gift, you have to receive it. If the gift is offered, you've got to actually take it. You've actually got to receive it. 
You see, the, the rich young ruler, ultimately, I think the, the sadness of that story is it shows us the futility of trying to do things in our own strength, of saying, I don't need your help. I don't need your gift. I can do it. And for some of us, it's a challenge. It's a difficult thing to say, hey, I can't. I need help. I need to recognise, as Thomas did, your God, that you came, you died for me. And if our response is, I'm good enough, I just have to try harder, I just have to do more, we're just going to still find ourselves facing a bottomless pit. If our answer is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, as was the answer of so many in Scripture, then we'll find a hand reaching out to us that crosses that gulf, crosses that chasm. And if that's our response, then we will find that we can do nothing, but he does everything. Our time's nearly up. Can I close by asking you to consider that question again that we started with? If you were to die and stand before God and he was to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? If you know this morning that you're not trusting in Jesus, that you're trusting in your own strength, and this morning you want to do something about it, then I'm just going to pray a, a short prayer, just a few words. You don't have to say it out loud, but just say it after me. If you just this morning say, hey, I can't do this in my own strength. I want to do it. I want your help. I want you to reach me. Just say this in your heart, if this is you. Lord, please forgive me for all the things that I've done wrong. I turn to you and I turn away from them. Jesus, please be the centre of my life. I welcome you personally as Lord and Saviour of my life. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill and empower me to live as a child of God. And I want to have your grace to truly live a new life. Thank you for hearing my prayer through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, then please, would you speak to someone uh, that you know as a Christian, maybe someone that brought you this morning, or come and speak to myself or Steve or Danny, one of the other people that you know in the church, because we'd love to help you on this journey that you're just starting out on. Amen. Let's stand and sing.